Hello and welcome to the Diabetes Dugout with Brighty and Peachy, brought to you by the Diabetes Football Community. This is your regular dose of all things football and diabetes as we bring you the stories of those affected by the condition who have a love of the sport. Everything we share and talk about on this podcast is from personal experience and if you have any concerns about the management of your condition, you should always check in with a healthcare professional. Now, with all that said, let's crack on with the episode. Hello and welcome to episode 17 of the Diabetes Dugout. Joining me today, as always, my co-host, the award-winning Chris Bright. Brighty, how are we? I'm very well, mate. How are you? I'm all right. Talk us, talk us through this new, uh, this new title, the award-winning Chris Bright, as we've now got to refer to you. Oh, it's, it's, an, it's an award that I always will attribute to you, John, and the boys behind it who obviously put me up for the nomination. But more broadly, it is about the work of the diabetes football community. You know, we'll always have a laugh and a bit of a joke about, you know, things we've got going on. But um, in all seriousness, that award reflects the incredible work that the community put in through the pandemic. And um, yeah, I was just the guy that got to pick up the award. for. I, I see it as a a reflection of all the, the contributions, all of the conversations, all of the information that people chipped in with as we went through the pandemic and all of the um, engagement and the laughs that we tried to have in what was a very difficult and um, challenging situation that we went through in 2020. So delighted that I could be there to pick up the award on behalf of, for me, the diabetes football community. It wasn't an award for me. It was an award for all of us. I think massive thanks to Mohammed who, basically put all the organising together, um, filled out all the paperwork. So, yeah, but I think, like you said, the, the recognition for yourself, but no offence, more importantly, TDFC. Absolutely. That's how I see it as well. Yeah, non, no offence taken, Johnny. It is for, for all of us, the award. It's for uh, the great work that, that I've seen so many people do whether that be in the WhatsApp group, whether that's on social media, online, where, wherever it is, the engagements with with conversations that support other people with diabetes as well online. So, yeah, massive, massive thanks for Mo for obviously getting involved and doing the paperwork and putting me up for it. And, um, yeah, glad that we won. It's a we, it's not a me. So, yeah, I'm chuffed. And, um, yeah, it, um, it brings us on nicely to uh, some a, a huge amount of success that you've also... Uh, seen recently, John. I think I've seen your face somewhere before. Do you want to enlighten us, John? Well, uh, I mean, I uh, hmm, don't know about crime watch, but uh, I've seen money heist. Money heist. Yes, <laughs> we we've seen that one. We've seen that Helsinki. We know, um, but also I've seen you on a new advertising campaign, John. I'm now struggling to slide into your DMs because they're all full. I can't get any of your time. And there is a brand new campaign started for John Peach's Blue Tick on Twitter. That is all I am saying. Silence. I, I don't know how to say. No, it was, um, yeah, the, the, the Diabetes UK's new campaign. Um, I was asked a while ago to if I'd be part of it. And then it all sort of went a bit quiet, as it does. Um, and then while I was away on holiday in the summer, um, I had an online meeting. And then... 
yeah, they wanted to come around and film within the next couple of weeks. Um, it was, I have to say, it was a it was a hard day filming, like quite. Um, there was just I, I was expecting sort of three or four people there, and we're talking 15, 20 people all of a sudden turning up at my house, and I'm going, I can't even fit this many people in the street. Yeah. What's going on? Um, but I, I think for me, in in my 35 years of being diabetic as it is now, it is the most powerful um, advert advertising campaign I've seen. Says the the TV one, the radio one. It's it's all over social media, um, and I think lots of people who I was at my my youngest birthday party at the weekend and someone came up to me and said, oh, I've seen you on the advert and her, herself is diabetic. Um, and just the, the, the comments I'm getting, I've seen, I've had students at school come up to me saying they've seen me on it. Um, so yeah, it's, I think like, like you said about the awards for, although you won it, it's for TDFC, the, the, the campaign to, to raise the profile of what it's like to, to live with diabetes um, and, and to make people aware and, and to, I guess all those um, perceptions that people have of, well, you've got diabetes because you you eat too much. Um, can you do this? Can you do that? Helping them see that you can lead a normal life, but flipping heck, it's hard work. Absolutely. And uh, I just want to echo a lot of what you said there, John. I think it's a an incredible campaign. Um, definitely agree with you that it is probably the best reflection i think of our lives that i've seen put onto a tv campaign so a massive shout out to diabetes uk for producing that um it's hashtag this is diabetes isn't it john and um i think this is the uh, and the fact that they've been able to produce such a high quality great reflection of what life looks like for us that's now live on television where you're going to see it in some of the most prominent programs on tv in the uk will i hope help to dispel a lot of the stigma and the stereotypes that are out there it's not going to change everything overnight but it's going to hopefully challenge at least a few people that maybe um didn't know that much about diabetes before because now they're seeing a real live reflection of what it is mm. and um i'm just really i'm really proud that you were a part of it obviously for being who you are within the diabetes football community and I'm really proud of um, being a part of our community to see it and the work that the di you know the diabetes football community has done in you know sort of encouraging you John to take up opportunities like that as well and you know this is something you might not have done a few years ago and you know you threw your name in the hat and you've you've put yourself now on a on a national television advertising campaign with everybody looking at you. And um, I'm, I'm... there's no might about it. There's absolutely no way I would have even, I wouldn't have done anything like that for TDFC. Like, I, I, people didn't know I was diabetic. So again, I think it, the, the power of TDFC. Yeah. And uh, I'm delighted that we had that impact on you and, um, and again, just a huge congratulations to Diabetes UK for, for nailing the campaign and, and what a great representation you've delivered for all of us. And talking of camp, um, impacts that TDFC has had, we've got a guest on today, John, who I think 
100% represents a huge impact that TDFC has had. His journey is one of my favourite journeys. I know it was um, something I talk about a lot. And um, somebody that has been a huge prominent player, person, character, personality within our community. So who have we got on today with us then, Mr Beach? Well, today we have got a first. We have got our first returning guest. We have got someone who ran the London Marathon a couple of weeks ago. So we've invited him on to tell his story because there's a lot that went on before and on that day that I think people need to to see, to hear. Um, so we have invited the legend that is Scotty Burrell to come back on and talk about his experience. Welcome back, Scotty. Hello, cheers. Thanks for having me back. Welcome back, Scotty. Pleasure to have you on the podcast again. Thank you. Uh, hopefully I've got a few, well, I know I've got a few stories and some insightful information to give. So let's start us off then, Scott. Just just talk us a little bit about your your running background. Um, so really, it's very minimal until a couple of years ago. Um, yeah, well, uh, sort of early 2019, there was um, obviously I was, TDFC was um, in its infancy then, but we'd had a few a couple of um, sessions. We'd obviously had the the Dia Euro in 18 and 19, and there's another kind of sports group of type ones um, that are not connected to TDFC, but um, the guy that runs that, uh, Paul Coker, um, one bloody drop have held conferences with TDFC and um, Paul organises at the Swansea half marathon every year um, to break the world record for the number of people with type one to run the half marathon. Um, and I think he said in 2018, he got 69 people with type one all in Swansea to do the half. Um, and I'd seen this advertised through TDFC and Paul on social media. Um, that he was looking to break the record in 2019. Um, I thought I'd go and give it a crack, par- partly to meet other type ones and um, find information from them as I'd had fantastic experiences of that through TDFC. Um, and also because I'd never been to Swansea before. I like going to different places and this is where the the half marathon was so I thought I'd, I'd go over there for a weekend and that was my first kind of proper race really I'd done a few years ago like just with mates as a bit of a, a mess around but this one like, I went in with quite high expectations of wanting to be the fastest type one even though it was never really about times it was a meeting of type ones it was showing people that even if you've got type one diabetes you can run a half marathon you can do this you can do that um and and so anyway it was in june 2019 when the event was uh we were in swansea on the saturday night we'd had a i think it was a prezzo or a pizza express a big meeting of all the type ones there before and then the race on the sunday morning um and i ended up finishing as the the first uh, type one runner back um really enjoyed it um and kind of got the running bug from there what sort of inspired you then, Scotty, just to take it up to begin with then? What, what took you into the realm of wanting to run after obviously being involved with TDFC? What got you into it? Um, good question. I think, I mean, people had always said to me years ago, I'd be good at it just because of, uh, of my frame. Obviously, you know, I'm, I don't carry a lot of weight. I'm pretty tall, so I can take a long stride. Um, but I'd never really 
got serious. Well, I wasn't serious about it. It's just something people said to me. But I enjoyed that experience in Swansea. And then I saw it as an opportunity to travel as well. So after then, I'd entered a few half marathons in different European cities. And I used to go and follow the England football team away a lot. But it, the flights for that were always very, very expensive. But if you're going somewhere out of season, and that's usually when these races are held, so it's cooler temperatures, um, the travel's very cheap. So that appealed to me as well. Brilliant. And do, well, I'll just quickly add in that um, if anyone did want to listen back to any of Scott's stories about his diabetes, if you listen back to episode five, he talks a lot about the, the build-up and in a lot more detail about the, the running history. Um, but yeah, what we really want to, to focus on today is your, your day. So was this your, was this your first ever marathon you've run? And if so, why did you decide to, to do a marathon? Um, so yeah, it was my first. Um, I, and I, like a lot of people, I just entered the ballot for the London Marathon on a bit of a whim back in 2019. And this was obviously pre-COVID. So um, I think that it's about one in 400 chance of getting a place in the ballot. Um, and I got one. And this was in my early running days, not long after the half in Swansea and a few other races I'd done. But that October 2019, I got the magazine in the post that said I was in. And that was for the April 2020 event. Um, now, obviously, that event didn't take place. It was postponed to October. That didn't take place. It was then postponed to this October. So I never really kind of had a massive desire to run a marathon, but I entered the ballot like an awful lot of people do. And I happened to be one of the lucky ones. And then that kind of kicked me on a bit in terms of trying to take it a bit more seriously and, and try and get quick. I, I was quite delusional at the time, though, and I thought I could easily run a three-hour marathon off little training and like it would all be very easy. And I've since realised going since then, going through the training and that it's really not, well, it could be easy if you put the work in, but you have to put a lot of work in to kind of get to a level where you can run 26 miles at less than seven minutes a mile um it's a it's a big old job you you said there about having to put put a lot of work in what um what for you is a lot of work and, and what was your your training for it and, and how did you manage to fit that around work around socializing because in my head people running marathons um, not obviously I've never done one you, you wouldn't you wouldn't believe that looking at me I'm sure but um what, what, what how long how long were you training for what were your your weekly runs like well back so this was October 2019 when I was, it was scheduled to take place in April 2020 um, and my weekly runs would be going out maybe twice a week and trying to run a 5k as fast as I could and get annoyed that they were all pretty much coming in at the same time, give or take 10, 15 seconds um, either side. And I just thought, like a lot of people that take it running, oh, you just go out and run as fast as you can and you keep doing that and you'll gradually get fitter. Um, and I was doing this, obviously COVID kind of hit mid-March. I was still doing this sort of January, February, March. But I thought, well, if I just, I'll just keep doing this and I'll be fine. I'll run three hours the following month at the marathon. Um and then, of course, the marathon got cancelled, like a lot of things. Um, and I continued to run. Um, I'd started briefly following a, a plan to run a three-hour marathon, um, which was um, a, an online plan. So not too specific, but it was running sort of five times a week, um, kind of 40, 50 miles a week. And I was doing that um, through the, like the 2020 summer, the COVID summer. 
And then I was really keen to find out what my VO2 max was, which is how much oxygen um, is, is in your blood. And it tells you on a lot of like the, the watches, um, but it's obviously only an estimate on the watch. And I know you can go to a lab or like a sports laboratory and the unis and, and have it properly measured. So I'd sent some emails around to uh, various labs and unis and things that offered this service. And um, not all of them got back to me, but one of them did was a, a guy um, called Dave Tune who uh, runs Blizzard Physiotherapy up in Doncaster, um, who is a, an ex-elite um, athlete himself and has run all sorts of ridiculous times. Um, and I went up there to have a lactate test done, um, which was how much lactate I can you can accumulate in the blood before the body can't get rid of it, and all based on your heart rate and what how you should be doing your training. And I've, since then, I've kind of been under Dave's wing and really kicked on my training, whereas he sets all my my work, um, and I'm running six days a week, and it's we're talking between 60 and 70 miles a week in the lead up to London. I think my biggest would have been um, low 70s, maybe 72, 73 miles. So since then, really, I've I've kind of progressed from doing my own thing of going out and trying to smash 5K twice a week and wondering why I'm not really getting much quicker to now being coached by a, a professional and an ex-elite. So what do you think is the key thing that the, the coach has brought you then? And do you think it's um, sort of that elite mindset? Do you think it's structure, a real plan about how to go about your training that's going to improve you? What What's the key elements do you think that he's brought to your running that's had um, that positive impact on you? Certainly the, the plan and the structure, because I know it sounds stupid, but to get faster, you need to run slower. Um, and that was something that I would, if someone had told me that a few years ago, I would have just said well, that's, that's just it just makes no sense um but but it really i like the sound of that scott yeah uh, <laughs> that's that's my type of running yeah it's, <laughs> it's, it's a combination of runs like that and then hard so generally now i'll run easy five days a week one of those five days will be like a longer easy run and then i'll have two days where i'm doing hard interval work um so it's all that structure um and knowing that what my heart rate zones are because a lot of this training is all based on heart rate so i know my easy running is up to a heart rate rate of 144 beats a minute and my threshold zone is up to 155 and then my hard zone is above 155 so it's kind of training specifically rather than just going out and, and smashing runs so you mentioned you you sort of training there specifically scott without much mention of type 1 diabetes now that's not to say that obviously we don't th- try and consider all other aspects of our training when we go out there as athletes as you like with with the condition but obviously you've got a special consideration to make so with all of those aspects of training those different elements the interval side of things the long runs what sort of ways were you going about managing your condition was there anything in particular that stood out or things that changed maybe from where you were looking previously that obviously when you were coming into the marathon and the training for it you maybe had to make adaptations for yeah i mean obviously technology has been a massive part of that now we've got um, like the libra the dexcom it, before those like the meow meow was a big help and those pieces of technology have helped me massively when i started um running i i was self-funding a, a libra because it was helping me a lot um and then i bought the meow meow which basically turned the libra 
into a CGM so I could see the data on my watch. And without this this data, it would be very hard to run with type one and not stop and, and either finger prick or, or scan. I was running and scanning a lot with the, the original Libra one, which obviously didn't have the Bluetooth functionality before um, I got the meow meow attachment for that. Um, so technology has been a massive help. And it's also me knowing that if I have to stop or do something, whether that's inject insulin or eat jelly babies, although I, I tend to eat those on the go, um, that it's kind of just part of life and training. And I've never been scared to stop a session or stop a run because the glucose levels aren't right. And I know that that's not going to change. So I don't let it affect me really. Or I don't let it affect me mentally. Obviously it is affecting the body because if I'm stopping, it's usually because I'm going to be too low or, or potentially too high as we may come on to with the marathon. Um, but I don't let it affect me mentally. I just accept it. Uh, and it's just another a challenge in, in, in the way. I think that that does link in nicely then. So you've done all this training, you've, you've got your coach who's you're, you're doing all these runs. You're hoping to go and run your a really impressive time. Um, talk us through it then. So let's go from the evening before. So you, you've gone up to London yeah, um, or down for me at the minute, although I'm a resident of London for a few years ago. But yeah, so I was down there the day before. Um, glucose levels were fine. I'd done a park run, a local one um, in Lincolnshire um, on the Saturday morning before heading down just at a very sort of steady pace. Um, levels were fine um, during the day. So I went to the Excel Centre in London to... Um, collect my bib and drop off my bag there was there was no bags dropping off on the day um at the event uh got to my hotel kind of just didn't really do a great deal for the rest of the evening i had a meal which is a meal i'd had before i ran the a6 london 10k and i ran pretty well that day back in july so i went with the same meal which was a um from the pasta place vapiano of um pasta spinach um beef fillet and um probably red onions or something um big carby meal low fat meal um plenty of iron which i've since learned as well iron is really important for distance running um levels were fine um had a bowl of fruit after that um pretty happy with how everything was going um went to bed relatively early um i did have a, a glucose alarm uh, i have my uh, Libra two alarms set for um, below four millimoles and above 10 millimoles. And I'd had a high at sort of two, three o'clock in the, like, the morning before the marathon. Um, so I'd injected a couple of units at that time and got back to sleep. And that was no great drama, really. Um, so, yeah, the, the day before went pretty as expected. Ideally, I wouldn't have had that um high during the night but these things happen um and that's just part and parcel of uh, type 1 diabetes so just to pick you up on on something you said there you, you you kept saying your your levels were fine for you um what is a what is a fine level um i do like quite a tight range so i i have my um ranges set for four to seven millimoles um but I, I i don't know exactly what my levels were the day before but they certainly would have been under 10 it, above 10 i see as a concern kind of 7 to 10 is okay but i'd like it to be a bit lower um so the, the day before would have been all 
under 10, but maybe not all four to seven millimoles. And 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 if you like you, you said there, that that's fine. If you're going out of range, um, so that you said you woke up in the night, how does that does that affect you psychologically or psychologically or like you said there, were you able to just have a couple of units and just get straight back to sleep? Pretty much that, yeah. I mean, to be honest, I do find insulin is a lot less sensitive during the night. So if that was in the daytime and I wanted to bring my levels down a little bit, I would work on the basis of one unit is going to bring me down three millimoles. But I tend to find during the night, one unit brings me down one millimole. Um, and I think that's just because obviously the body's using next to no energy. You're asleep. There's hormones um that get released during sleep and things so i tend to work on a one-to-one -one ratio during the night but this is not uncommon for for me to have and i think half the problem is i eat too late and the, this that night i would have eaten too late because i went to bed early and obviously when you go to sleep it slows the digestion process down so you can have these highs and even lows during the the night so um no it didn't upskittle me really i've um I did a couple of units and I've, from what I remember, the bed was very comfortable. So I was uh, about to sleep pretty quickly. So Scotty, that's the middle of the night. There's a whole lot of preparation. It sounds as though up to this point, uh, say two, three in the morning, you've gone back to sleep after adjusting for high. It sounds like things are going to the plan, if you like, up to this point. So you wake up in the morning what are your thoughts? What are your feelings? Are you happy at that moment when you wake up about what's going to happen next? Are your levels in a good place? What's the emotions like? How are you feeling at that moment? Yeah, I felt good. I'd woken up at 7.2 millimoles. This was at 7am. This was when my alarm was set for. Um, so yeah, felt quite good. Um, I usually I've experienced like the, the dawn phenomenon or the morning spike or people have got various sort of phrases for it. And I did, I did start rising quite quickly. So I injected one unit and I knew that my start time was 9.36am. So I'm thinking it's 7am now. If we say this unit's going to be active for three hours, I'm going to be running with it active for the first 20 minutes. I thought that's not a big deal. I'm going to have plenty of um, carbs on me. That will be fine. I then got straight in the shower, um, got out, and then I was still rising high. And this was about 20 past seven now. So I wasn't, this was, things were not quite going to plan now. I still wasn't overly concerned because I knew I was going to do the longest run of my life. And usually when I'm running at a below threshold heart rate, I would, the levels tend to just drop off gradually, which is fine. If that had happened, I would have had um, gels and energy bars, jelly babies. They were giving out Lucozade on the course. So I wasn't too concerned at this stage, but I'd injected another unit. So now if we say this unit was going to be active until 10, 20, then I'm looking at sort of 40 minutes with active insulin on board, um, which I thought could be an issue, um, but I wasn't overly concerned about it. Um, the, the issue really was after I got in my kit and, and got over to Greenwich, which is where the marathon starts, I was still rising. And the, these two units I'd taken in two, two one-unit doses didn't seem to really be helping me. Um, and usually they would, if that had happened on a, another morning, a, a couple of units will be fine. You might continue to rise slightly and then you start tailing off and dropping. But um, no, I was still rising. So I'd arranged to meet um, a friend who was also uh, running it at Greenwich. He was staying in a, another hotel. Um, 
and I was still rising. So at this point, I'm above 10. I'm in double figures, but I'm, I'm, I'm still not massively concerned because I know I'm running. I know what heart rate I'm going to be running at roughly, and I know what that heart rate does to my levels. Um, so although it was not ideal, I wasn't massively alarmed at this point. Um, so, yeah, think, things didn't st- started okay and didn't – they kind of got worse as the, the few hours before the race went on without me being seriously concerned because I know what usually happens when I run at, at that kind of heart rate. So what do you think was different then? You, you kind of alluded to it, Scott. You said on, an, on another day uh, you would have trained – with the dawn phenomenon you would have run at that time before you would have been planned to run at this time so what do you think was the thing that maybe contributed to the fact that all of a sudden the the well-executed plan that you'd written up you'd probably tried and tested the week before maybe two weeks three weeks before in terms of your preparation what do you think was the thing that you couldn't account for or maybe the thing that might have altered what was going on 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 marathon day well, I, I, I didn't feel nervous in myself because like, I'd done an awful lot of training. I felt relatively confident that I'd run the, the pace that we, I'd discussed with the coach and we'd, we'd gone through. Um, but I think it, and it's really impossible to kind of factor these in when you're managing type one, like nerves and adrenaline. Um, I didn't feel particularly different in myself. I knew it was a big day. I knew it's a massive event with... 40 odd thousand people like three quarters of a million in the crowd they say it's on bbc one um so i think all of those things must have affected me without me really knowing i, I wasn't shaking i didn't feel nervous or any kind of emotions really like that but you know sometimes these things your body can release drugs and hormones like adrenaline and you don't know the body's doing that then that is going to massively impact your glucose levels and you need to deal with that but it's hard to deal with something you don't really know is happening so i'd got over to greenwich park i'd done a warm-up with uh, luke the guy that i'd met um who, who i know and i've ran with a bit um and my levels are still rising um so at this point we're making our way into the pen to like for the off and we were sort of in the first start after the elites um and i'm at 14.4 millimoles at this point and i was stood in there thinking mate i should probably i could take another unit now but then i'm thinking this unit's going to be active for the whole race because i know what kind of time i'm expecting anticipating to run and i'm not sure that's the best thing to do and i knew i still had a small amount of insulin active um which was going to be active for the sort of like the first 40 minutes of the race and i i i, I wasn't I was concerned at this point, but I still thought I'll be fine. I'll get to maybe five, six miles and I'll be on a big downward arrow on the the watch on the CGM monitor and I'll keep dropping and then I'll start taking gels and energy bars and things will be fine because that's what I would expect to happen if I was just going out running around country lanes, which is where I do a lot of my training. But obviously this wasn't um, country lanes. So I got off the start. at 14.4 millimoles and i was obviously looking at the watch a lot really hoping to see a downward arrow um but a downward arrow never really came unfortunately yeah so you talk there about some of the factors that you probably couldn't have prepared for um or not easily anyway in terms of race day the nerves 
that you might not have been able to replicate before you, you told me previously that you're not a nervous sort of person but this is not like any other day you would have experienced before so there's things there that subconsciously might have just crept in and you like you said you didn't really realize that all of a sudden there was there was something in your mind that might have been just playing um, a different tune to what you've been used to in certain in terms of your training so it sounds like that's been a big contributing factor then to where you've started the race and how things have, have played out then thereafter what was your thinking maybe you've got off the line you know things aren't going to plan or how you thought they might what were you thinking at sort of mile five six seven when you you know you're in you're in deep now you've gone in a decent way you've got off the line you're thinking right i've probably been moving i don't know 35 40 minutes you're thinking these levels are definitely going to come down at some point here what's your what what's going through your mind when you think when, when you're looking at your levels and they're going they're staying the same or they're even still increasing what, what were you thinking at that point yeah, I mean, even going back slightly earlier, that if we talk, I was using working the race in five k blocks, and I knew what pace I was looking to hit every five k, which was about nineteen twenty five, and I'm very confident I was capable of doing that. And I actually got to the first five k, and I met another type one that I, I previously have met and I know who actually let me stay at his house um, before the Great North Run, and he tapped me on the shoulder. And he said, are you on pace? I said, yeah. And I said, but I'm at, at this one, I was at 15.1 millimoles. So I, I turned around to him again and said, but I'm at 15.1. I've got an up arrow and I've got a, virtually no active insulin on board now. And I kind of, and he just said to me, I'll go and smash it or something along those lines. And I kind of had this look on my face like something needs to change quickly because 50, when we're getting above 15, without sounding arrogant like these are numbers which i never really see the only time i'd ever see these numbers is if i've the alarm's gone off during the night and i've turned it off and just gone straight back to sleep or just thought oh i'll deal with it later and if my alarm goes at 10 but if you're not acting at 10 then you're you're going to start seeing bigger numbers than that so from this point onwards i was thinking i might need to stop here and inject it was never a, a big consideration at this point because we were still relatively early just going into like the fourth fifth mile um but i'd considered it and i was thinking well I'll, every the watch refreshes every five minutes in terms of glucose levels i was thinking the next one's going to be a downward arrow or at least just give me a flat line but it just kept going up and up and i remember going through cutty sark which is obviously a famous part of the marathon it's the 10k point um and i'd hit pace again i was fine i wouldn't say i was feeling my best but i hit pace and i was thinking i'm not sure if i can run another six five k's at this pace to to hit this time i'm after um but i, I kept going with it um but the le the levels kept going up and it was the kind of stretch from um woolwich oh sorry greenwich where the cutty sark is to um rotherhive which is a bit less populated in terms of like crowd support because the, the crowds is probably another thing that didn't help me if that makes sense because of that adrenaline the crowds are mad they're shouting your name there's there are hundreds of thousands of people the whole way around really and if if my body was chucking all this adrenaline into my system it's very hard to counteract that as a diabetic because i don't know how much insulin to take for that if if i if i said to you now you're going to have i'm going to give you a piece of food it's 50 grams carbs you would know roughly how to deal with that insulin wise but 
how do I know how to deal with adrenaline? Like the, the simple answer is you don't. I mean, I'm thinking I could take a lot of insulin, but then I'm probably risking a hypo or I could leave it and hope I come down or I can just inject a small amount. I might still go up. So at this point, a lot of those kind of thoughts are, are playing around in my head. Like I really need to do something. Um, so we move on a, a few more miles and I was saying to myself, I'll give it one more refresh. If it's not a, a flat line or a downward arrow, I'll stop and I'll inject. But I've never, ever stopped during a race before. Obviously, it's just not something you would do because it's all about going as fast as you can. Um, but anyway, the, the numbers kept going up. So I then made a decision to stop and inject, but I wanted to stop for as short amount of time as possible. So I'd got the pen out whilst I was still running. I took the lid off. I took the... Um, like the protector that goes over the needle off. It, I was trying to run it like a, a, a really efficient Formula One pit stop. Everything was ready. I, I knew I was going to stop. I knew where I was going to inject. Um, I knew how many units I was going to inject. So when I stopped, I, I loaded the pen up with the units whilst I was on the move still. And I, I remember this point quite well because it, it was in a, uh, a not so populated area in Rotherhive of, of supporters. And someone shouted, oh, come on, Scott or something like that. And literally, I said, shout that, I'd stop because I'd, I'd pulled away out of the running line because I didn't want to get in a runner's way. And like that person just went really, really quiet because see, you're shouting at someone to keep going and they're looking like they're running fine. And suddenly they've stopped and they've started injecting themselves. And obviously, it's not something you'd really expect to see during a, a marathon, but it happened. So um, I actually, I, I'd, I'd planned to inject two units, um, but I went for three. Um and that kind of gave me a bit of a lift because I was I mentally, I thought, well, I've got three units on. I'm going to, I'm going to start dropping like really big drops soon. And that's kind of what I'm looking for because numbers right now is sort of above 18 millimoles. Um, and I wasn't feeling great at this point. I was still on pace at that 5k section when I'd stopped um, to do the injection. Um, I, I went through still under 20 minutes or so slightly off pace, but it was still another one ticked off under 20 minutes and I knew Dave my coach wouldn't want me to go chasing down lost seconds there we can deal with it later in the race so I was pretty happy with how that went I thought I'd stopped for about 18 to 20 seconds but the watch said it was only 10 seconds so that was a pretty efficient um, injection especially as I put the, the lid and things back on the pen as I was on the move again um, and then I made my way towards Tower Bridge um, but the numbers were still increasing. And in the past, I found if I inject during any sort of sport or physical activity like that, you can often that insulin becomes active a lot quicker. And I was hoping to see a drop quicker, but I still wasn't seeing a drop. Um, and I'd, I'd got up to the halfway point. So I, I did get through the halfway point in 81 minutes um, or 82 minutes, which was on the pace I was looking for. But by this point, I, I wasn't feeling great at all. In, like my legs, it was, it was difficult. And numbers, I was, I was still very, very close to twenty millimoles. And it sounds like Scott, the external factors have played a massive part here because you're talking about insulin working quicker, and uh, you're expecting it to have an impact, especially while you're still moving. And those stress hormones, they are a real bugger for insulin you know they they really inhibit how insulin works so it just it does the more and more you talk the more and more i think you, there was 
it was a mental battle and to begin with it was it was almost the challenge started when you woke up you know when you were maybe getting pumped maybe you know excited maybe those nerves were building that you couldn't have second guessed which seems to have had probably the biggest impact on your race day of of anything that you could have done and prepared you know you've prepared meticulously physically I've seen your times that you were putting out and where you were expecting to be and you were yeah really really like really special times and not that your time was not good by the way because we need to mention that your time even despite all of these challenges was incredible but it could have been unbelievable and you know you I know you have an element of disappointment but I also hope that you know from you talking about it you can learn a lot from it as well you know there's a big psychological element to this which I think I'd love those listening to really understand that whatever you had done on that day Scott it was mostly impacted by how you thought and how you felt about the situation probably more so than anything else and yeah. is, is that something you recognize now coming when you look, turn away from it and you look at it now and and you look at how race day went is that is that something you really go do you know what it, it it was that a little bit yeah i mean because i've never been one of these that wants to blame diabetes or glucose levels for like lack of performance or this or that but i know there's an awful lot of research i know you two know a lot of this and a lot of other people um that when you start seeing numbers above 10 11 12 13 how the body copes with and how you can perform at whatever you're performing at is affected by that and i had the, i had that in my head but i didn't want it to become an excuse but as i got into the second half it really it was getting hard to run and i've done numerous runs over 17 18 miles i've done five over 20 miles and this was happening to me at kind of 14 15 miles and a phrase that i don't tend to really use but i've heard it a lot is people like it's like running through treacle and looking back it kind of was like that because that next 5k section i think was about 22 23 minutes uh so i was i was dropping off here massively um and it, it was just feeling really really tough um just to get the legs moving even though i'd done only three weeks before or two weeks before maybe i'd done sort of best part of 20 miles at like a tempo kind of session um and it, it was getting hard and it actually came to a point where i did stop um and walked a bit um i had a very dry mouth which is a obviously a big symptom of high blood glucose i felt very lethargic a big symptom of high blood glucose and i know people could say well you just ran x amount of miles you, you know you maybe you're just not fit enough you're not trained enough but i would disagree with that because i think my training went not perfectly but pretty well um so I then I've moved off the racing line and I'd walked a bit um, and obviously people in the crowd are sort of cheering at you and telling you to get going and things. Um, but after that, I could never get back to the pace I wanted. So I did pick back up into a jog, but my, my remaining splits were all way off the kind of sort of like 1925, 1930 per 5k I was looking for. Um, and they, they just got worse as the race went on. I did, my levels did start dropping. Um, but then another issue I had was I'd not taken on any fuel at all. And people that know a lot more about distance running and nutrition than me would obviously think it's absolutely absurd to have run 
I think by this far, it was maybe at sort of 18, 19 miles and I hadn't taken any fuel at all. And the reason for that was because of these high levels. And I know that fuel is carbs and carbs are going to do one thing to my levels and it's not going to bring them down. So I, I then eventually I did see a downward arrow. So the, the three units, I was still at very high numbers, around 15, 16 millimoles. Um, but I then made a decision to take a, a, a gel. It was a caffeine energy gel, which was 22 grams carbs as well. Um, and it was a bit of a kind of like a lesser of two evils situation because I knew I needed fuel, but I didn't want to put the glucose levels up. But I took it. And of course, that the, the downward arrow then changed to a, a flat line arrow because I'd just taken over 20 grams of carbs. Um, and I was the, the second half, I was still sort of jogging a bit walking a bit even walking was becoming hard um it, it wasn't good for me at, at all there was like you say the mental side the physical side as well because their numbers i just i just don't see as you two know i'm quite aggressive with my insulin and the fact that i'll probably always take a little bit more than i need to to stop any kind of highs i really don't like seeing numbers above 10 millimoles because i get concerned about long-term complications and there's so many other factors um so i'm seeing numbers to that on the marathon day of closer to 20 than 10 and my body just couldn't operate anywhere near its optimum level i think from from listening to you talk about it scott it's um it's quite an emotional thing and and one of the things that i wanted um you to be able to get across and it, it's definitely come across is just how many decisions as a diabetic you've had to make on that day um 95 of other people going out there have gone right i'm going to run it that their their decisions are what clothes am i going to wear have i got fluids on me have i got energy gels and and hearing you talk about the number of tests you did and having like the the calculations that you did first thing in the morning or from what started in the night to, to first thing in the morning and the like you've already discussed the not knowing the the impact adrenaline would have on you and and, and i don't think you can you can account for that at all and um i i think that whilst you're you're clearly gutted and and frustrated because you're you're in my experience with you you're a harsh critic of yourself and and you always want to better it but i i i hope it just inspires you to go out and and smash the next one that you do now that is assuming that that, that you're going to do another one tell us you are scott well yeah i mean so when i crossed the line um i actually was relatively happy when i'd finished because i didn't actually have the overall time on the watch i changed my data fields which is probably a bit of a silly idea but in my head i just assumed that my finishing time was about 3:15, which was way slower than what i'd hoped for um, but then you get a text through like straight away as you go over the line that said oh, congratulations you've completed in 305 which so, I so three hours five minutes to run 26 miles under those circumstances miles. yeah <laughs> 
and I appreciate it's a decent time. And like people have said to me, like a lot of people would only dream of, couldn't even dream of running a marathon time like that. But for me, yeah, I was disappointed with it. I was aiming for a fair bit faster. Um, and I felt like I was in good shape. The decision-making you mentioned undoubtedly. Yeah. I mean, it's, it was the biggest thing I was thinking about all the way around. I mean, on in day-to-day life, I, I know there's some research on how many extra decisions a, a, a type one diabetic makes compared to a, a non-diabetic in, in on a day-to-day basis. And that's a very high number, but yeah, certainly all I was thinking about really during the, the marathon, it was looking at the, well, I knew obviously the paces I was hitting, needing to hit running wise, time wise, but the, the glucose levels and, and what decisions I had to make based on those levels. So yeah, going back to that, there's a huge amount of decisions but i mean we're type ones we're we're making those decisions every day so that wasn't uh too unusual for me um and then reference another marathon yeah so i would i'd said initially and i went on social media straight away and posted something a bit silly about how it was horrible and marathon running is not for me and i'm just going to have some time off and then go back to running shorter distances where I am a little bit better comparatively time-wise um certainly with a, a 305 as the marathon time now but I have thought about it and I will be um having another go at the marathon yes um, Scotty good good uh, and Scott I think I, I don't want to not I don't want us to get away from the fact that that time right 305 is a ridiculously good time right for most mortals that walk this earth okay and you've done it under the circumstances that you've just described which for me is an incredible feat of endurance durability and most importantly a word that we use a lot as people we're living with with diabetes resilience i don't know many people that would have grafted through all of that pain that agony the fact that our body feels like we're moving through treacle at that point to run a time as quick as that. It, it just doesn't, it just does not seem possible. So you must, well, I know looking back, you'll be critical as Peachy said on, we know what you're like. You want to be the best. You want to keep pushing, but looking back and understanding that psychologically, the, the impacts of adrenaline and where you were at on race day, you must be proud of how you've pulled that out at the end though. And, and that time. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's, I know, I know, and I appreciate people saying it's a good time and that, but for me, oh, and I still am a bit disappointed with it. I mean, I know it's only five minutes off what the UK athletics have as a good for age time, which gets you a guaranteed place into the London marathon. And I should look at it and think, well, I've ran with glucose levels close to 20 millimoles and I'm five minutes off running the qualifying standard to get in next year um, without having to go in the ballot. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, I've, I'm never happy, am I? I'm a, old pony <laughs> and, um, you're I'm, closer, I'm, Scott, you're closer to being hospitalised than you are for anything else, mate. So the fact that you've managed to run around the London <laughs> Marathon with levels that could put people in hospital is beyond remarkable. Scott's channeling is in a Victor Meldrew here, isn't it? Because... <laughs> yeah, there is that as well. And I know people have said to me, oh, I was probably in a DKA state as well, um, which I, I, I don't know. I didn't test for. And once the levels came down afterwards, obviously I took a, a very large amount of insulin on in the couple of hours after the race. And I was, I was fine afterwards. So I, I don't know about that, but yeah, I know it, it, it was, 
all things considered, it was a good time. But I think if I could have kept the levels of sort of, let's say, between six and 11 millimoles for the whole rest, it's almost a bit like in a football game, like a referee. I think generally you'd only talk about the referee if if they've been like the centre of attention, if they've caused issues. If my levels were in that, let's say, six to 10, six to 11 millimoles, that kind of range, I wouldn't have needed to talk about the diabetes so much. It's because of how they were. It's just had such a big impact on, on the day for me. And, and I think that's there's positives that can come out of that. Using this as a story to what we mentioned earlier about educating people and for people to see that how I guess how tough it was on the day for you. But I, I love your determination and 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 the fact that that you're not happy with it. And I can't wait to see you go out there and and smash a, a, a an unbelievable and sorry an even more unbelievable time and and one that you're happy with and we know you well enough to know that you are a, a determined person and and you won't you won't stop until until you've got it and 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 that mentality is actually what you need and i think it the the temptation like brighty said the temptation would have been there to just go oh do you know what I might have trained, but my levels are rubbish. I'm sacking this off. I'm gone. I, I, I can't do it. But it the fact that you... Canary Wharf, we went past the tube station. Um, and I know that's on the Jubilee line, which takes you into like uh, central London, where obviously you can collect your bag and that. And there wasn't many people around. And I knew that the time I was looking for was off at this point. I wasn't feeling great. So it did cross my mind just to dip off and go down. But I thought, yes. no, I can't. It's the London Marathon. I need to finish whatever um so I, I did finish um but it did cross my mind to to call it off which that would have been maybe sev 17 ish miles that kind of this 17 18 miles at that point but no i did stick with it yeah mate i i, I don't I don't think we can fully explain how proud it makes us uh um to one see you do it but but two to talk so openly uh, about your diabetes during the day and, and i know that you you sent me and brighty a, a voice note we, we love our voice notes going between us the, 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 the three of us and i think when i saw one come in on that evening and it was sort of a 15 16 minute voice note i was thinking oh no it's like i hope he's all right and and you just explained it so well and and i think that 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 the, the the way that you're you're now happy just talking about it and going yeah do you know what it didn't go well i know why i'm i'm feeling a bit rubbish at the moment but you, you, your determination and drive to to succeed is brilliant um i, I just mentioned there as well about your your, your thoughts on the evening um sorry your, your thoughts that evening and, and you mentioned about social media if people want to follow you because you're 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 brilliant at, at putting your your runs out on social media and, and what your sugar levels are what you've had what you've taken what's what, what's the best way for people to follow you on social media on your strava yeah i think for all my uh, kind of diabetes reports if that's the right term for them with all my runs my strava uh, which is just my name uh, which is uh, scott burrell double uh, b-u-double-r-e-double-l -L. um so i've built up a little following of what i call my type one fan club on there um, so I'll always put my um, kind of 
numbers and what did I take in the slim before did I take any jelly babies whilst I was running or my thought process behind my decisions on there um so yeah that'll be the best place for me my twitter um which I guess you'll link in the the notes as well I usually do a weekly post on there with just a few thoughts on um my runs as well yeah absolutely Scott we'll we'll put it into the the show notes um and I just wanted to say a massive thank you for being, as Peachy said, as open, as honest. Um, and I think the, the key word in all of this is enlightening because that episode and that game day, that race day feeling is one that so many of us can relate to. And the impact that you've felt of the psychology of approaching game day or race day is one that many of us go through and you've described it really eloquently. You've managed to showcase the way that you try to approach it, all of the decisions that you try to make and you've done it in a way now, which I hope through this episode will help many, many others to get an idea about how things can be impacted by our psychology as well as our physical input. Um, and the things that we might eat and nutrition wise and our training, you know, we need to train our mind as much as we train our body. So I think what you've demonstrated there, Scott, is, um, is, is amazing. It's an amazing representation of, of that. And um, I just want to say a massive thank you for coming on um, to talk to us about it. And I'm really excited to see what you do next. I'm looking forward to seeing where you take your running and then when you go and tackle that next marathon, mate. So Good luck with everything you're doing. We're obviously going to be talking lots and lots, but yeah, I just wanted to say that publicly on the podcast. Uh, you know, we we massively appreciate what you do and and how you go about sharing with the community, um, as it has a huge impact, mate. So thank you again, and uh, really appreciate you jumping on the show with us today. No, thanks, thanks for having me on, and yeah, thanks for all the exposure you give me as well. Well, that's it for this episode and we just want to say a huge thank you to everyone who has tuned in and don't forget to subscribe and follow the podcast on whichever platform you're listening to us on and whilst you're there if you could rate and review us that will help us and the show to reach more people. Whilst if you'd like to get in contact with us about any ideas or thoughts for the show send us an email about the diabetes dugout to the diabetes football community at gmail.com or head to the website www.thediabetesfootballcommunity.com for more information about our project. Thanks for joining us and tune in next time for more stories, inspiration and information about diabetes in football.